Welcome to another podcast from Blaney McMurtry on the Blaney Podcast. And we have with us today Mr. Dennis Tobin, who will be speaking about commercial leases. But before we jump into our podcast, I thought I'd give our listeners some statistics about the Blaney's Podcast. We are listened to in over 18 countries around the world. We now have in excess of 2,000 listens to our podcasts, and this will be our 18th podcast. We've recently been featured in uh, Canadian Lawyer Magazine and have ranked number five in the top 10 podcasts, legal podcasts in Canada. So uh, this is the end of me clapping ourselves on the back and our engineer, Varjan Armand, as well. So let's get right down to this. Dennis, uh, good afternoon, and welcome to the beautiful Blaney's uh, podcast studio. Thanks, Lou. So today we're going to talk about the, the lease, and uh, I think we should start off at the most obvious uh, place in this, and that I understand that there are two separate documents, a, pre, a precursor to the lease and the lease itself, um, and this offer to lease, and lease, uh, perhaps you can differentiate the two and uh, how the two work together. Sure. There's an offer to lease and there's a lease. And the offer to lease, as you say, usually precedes a formal lease document, but it doesn't necessarily have to. Uh, it can come in different forms. It can be a letter of intent. It can be just a straight letter of exchange between the parties. You know, when I get involved in transactions that uh, cross different jurisdictions, you'll find different practices. In Canada, generally an offer will be slightly more detailed than in some other jurisdictions. Because in some circumstances, the offer itself can be the lease. Now, a lease document will sometimes follow an offer, or the parties might go straight to a lease when they think that, they're, that they understand what the terms of the deal are and they want to get the paperwork done. Some of the differences between the two is an offer is usually shorter than a lease, although not always, unfortunately. Depending on who you're dealing with and the circumstances of the premises that you'd be leasing, the lease document could be anywhere from 15 to 100 pages. Now, who would prepare this offer to lease and lease? Would it be the, um, the, per the tenant, the landlord, or the broker? It could be any of them or all of them, in a sense. Um, very often, the, for instance, uh, I'm very active in commercial retail leasing in Canada, uh, that market is dominated by a half a dozen or so large landlords, and they will very often generate the first offer or letter of intent. Now, what should you look for, and what are the, uh, I guess, the most fundamental terms in, in an offer to lease that a prospective tenant should be cognizant of? Right. Well, location, 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 Lou. Uh, once that's taken care of, uh, then what the parties want to do is make sure that they're getting the deal that they bargained for. And then it's important that the parties, you know, understand that, that they're agreed on what the rent is, on how the area will be calculated, what the size of the premises is going to finally be in the circumstances where uh, they're going into new premises, and then uh, what to do about options. Uh, how long is the initial term, and what options are they going to have to extend that term? Let's talk about the rent to start off with, because that seems to me more one of, the, one of the fundamental terms of any lease. So how is rent calculated in, a, in an offer or in a lease? Is there a, is there a, 
is it an all-in provision? Is it a net? Is it a gross? Maybe you could explain to us. Sure. Uh, many people that are involved in leasing or have rented premises before will know that there's something called a triple net lease or net, net, net. What that's understood to mean is that the tenant pays a certain rent, usually per square foot, and that that rent goes to the landlord. And then in addition to the net rent, the tenant pays all of the operating costs and taxes so that that rent, in effect, is net to the landlord, net of all their other expenses. Uh, you can have a hybrid where you can have a, a net deal where, the, for instance, the operating costs are capped so that the increases year over year might be capped or perhaps they're capped in the first year to keep everybody honest uh, when it comes to making representations about what the tenant should expect they might be. Finally, you, in rare instances, come across gross leases. And a gross lease is where a tenant agrees to pay a single amount per square foot per annum, and they don't pay anything else. Now, I've also heard the concept of percentage rent. Can you tell us uh, what that is and when it would be used? Yes, percentage rent. Uh, percentage rent is really it's a compromise between the parties. It is an opportunity to, for the landlord to increase the minimum rent that they get paid and at the same time for the tenant to uh, mitigate the risk of taking a premises. What it amounts to is an agreement between the parties that if the tenant's revenue goes above a certain threshold, often referred to as a breakpoint, then the landlord starts to get a percentage of those revenues that the tenant is generating in the premises. It really is, uh, you know, one of it's most common in a retail environment where you have a tenant who's not sure that the landlord's representations as to what their sales are going to be are accurate or likely to be achieved. The other uh, <clears throat> fundamental issue, I, I presume, in, um, in an offer to lease is to talk about the term of the lease. Now, when we talk about terms, is there a general term or a, a standard term for a, for a premises? Is it five years? Is it ten years? How, how does that term arrive at, and who determines it? Well, it's a negotiated between the parties. You have to look at it from each party's perspective. Uh, I caution you first on all of these terms that you're asking about, Lou, you know, it's, it's my view that there is no common understanding that you should rely on. And the reason for this is that if you have a very detailed lease document, the term means what the lease document says it does. And so as much as people in the industry will assume that a reference to the term or some other defined or commonly understood term is contained in the document, they may not know what it actually says. So... Back to your question, though, about how the term gets arrived at. For the landlord, it's often a consideration of how valuable the tenant might be to them and how long they're willing to commit the premises to this particular tenant. The value issue comes up in the context that if they can get a very strong covenant from, a, for instance, a large international retailer, then they're going to want a longer term because that is going to make the lease much more valuable to them in uh, the time that they sell, 
the property or for the purposes of financing. Now, having said that, it's not unusual for landlords to want the right in certain circumstances to move tenants or to terminate the lease. And so those issues have to also be considered when a tenant is taking a look at a landlord's lease and the definition of what the term is. From a tenant's point of view, the tenant really, it's, as, as I said before, it's all about location. And even if you've got a percentage rent deal, uh, it may be that the tenant is just not interested in committing for the long term. So it's a compromise. If the landlord wants this very strong tenant covenant for 10 years, then perhaps the tenant wants uh, termination rights, early termination rights, or maybe the tenant's just going to do a five-year deal. At a very basic level, though, it's very common to do a five- or a ten-year deal with one or two options of five years. So there are a couple of things that you talked about in uh, your answer to my question about the term that... uh I'd like to uh, drill down a little deeper. And one of them was this issue of relocation. Now, are, are you suggesting or you know, are you telling me that uh, uh, a landlord may have in his lease the uh, provision which allows him to relocate the tenant on the same terms and conditions as they had signed for the uh, original premises? Well, I'll go back to what I said. You can't assume anything about what the actual terms of relocation are. But to answer your question, I think a tenant... Uh, reviewing a lease should assume that the landlord has the right to relocate you to another premises at any time the landlord wants to. And then after that, the lease indicates whether or not the landlord compensates you for that or not. Well, that's a pretty significant term. I mean, that, I guess, is one of those issues that have to be looked at closely and negotiated right at the beginning in the offer. That's right. That is definitely one of the issues that a party might want to anticipate in the offer. You know, at the offer stage, people want to know that they've got the basic terms agreed between themselves, and they figure that the lease can get worked out later on. But it's probably prudent to, you know, have the offer reviewed, and especially by somebody who's familiar with the landlord, because then you can anticipate issues such as the right to relocate or the rights to terminate, that will be in the lease, and the landlord may or may not be willing to renegotiate them. In fact, you know, some tenants unfortunately agree to sign the landlord's standard form of lease without reading it. So then that would be one of the good reasons people would have to go to a lawyer such as you to ensure that when they sign that offer that all the terms in there uh, that can be negotiated are there to, to protect them. That's right, with a view to getting the deal done. Of course, of course. So another issue that you talked about was the, um, uh, the options that are given at the end of the term. What do you mean by options? Are, are they landlord's options? Are they tenant's options? And how do you determine what the rent is after the option is exercised? They're usually the tenant's options. Uh, to the extent that they are drafted in a sort of... Uh, Uh, in a way to indicate that it's at the mutual agreement of the parties, you have to be careful. It may not be a legally binding option. What the tenant expects if they talk about having an option, if they have language of an option in in an offer or a lease, what they expect is that it's going to be their choice as to whether or not 
they can extend the lease for additional years. So a common option is uh, the option to extend the lease for an additional period of five years. And then the rent is negotiated usually at the time of the offer or there's a formula. So, but you'd have to do it at the time of the offer because that's a fundamental term. And it's unlikely that you'll be able to negotiate an option at the lease stage if you have a signed offer. How then you determine the rent if the rent is, uh, let's say, stated at fair market rent? How, how is that process done and, and, and accomplished by both parties? Well, uh, fair market rent should probably be defined. That's my best advice. Because otherwise, it's left to the understanding in the marketplace, and uh, which unfortunately reasonable people will disagree on, uh, which is a remedy for litigation or a remedy that results in litigation. So uh, fair market rent is understood to be the fair market rent that comparable premises would command at the time. And if you're doing an option, you've got to make sure that you deal not only with the formula for the fair market rent, but the process of having it determined. Because, as you can imagine, it may not be uh, something that the landlord and tenant can negotiate 10 years hence. Uh, the landlord is going to have an elevated view of the value of their property, and the tenant is going to have their own view. So you have to add an arbitration or some other binding way of determining it in the event that the landlord and tenant can't agree. Uh, talk to me about arbitration, Dennis. What, what, what typically goes on uh, at an arbitration, and uh, is, that a, is that a term that's often found in a lease, and how does that differ from litigation? I know there's a lot of questions. There. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, the arbitration is important in the commercial lease context because it assumes that the parties have agreed to this process to settle whatever the dispute is. Let's take, for instance, the case where you and I have agreed as a landlord and tenant that the tenant has the option to extend the term at the fair market rent. Ten years from now, you come to me and say, I've exercised my right, I'd like to do that, and we just can't agree. I want $100 a square foot, uh, and you want to pay me $10 a square foot. In that scenario, then, if it's well-drafted, we'll have a third party determine it under arbitration. And the process goes something like this. We try and find somebody whose judgment that we trust, possibly a professional arbitrator or somebody with extensive experience. We'll agree on that. The process is very much like going to court, except it's done outside the public eye. Unfortunately, it costs just as much. Um, and uh, I think a lot of parties are surprised by how expensive it is. And uh, it usually involves uh, detailed analysis by both parties of the market that they believe constitutes the comparable premises market for the location that the rent is being determined for. So uh, it, that is something else that should be defined because as you can imagine if uh, the tenant is going to want as broad potentially a market 
considered as possible so that they can find a couple of options that were done at very low prices. And a landlord is going to perhaps want a very closely defined, perhaps limited to their own center, uh, market for evaluation as to what's comparable. I have heard of leases which uh, direct the arbitration to be performed by three arbitrators, uh, one chosen by the landlord, one chosen by the tenant, and a third chosen by both arbitrators. I presume that would be a quite an expensive process because those arbitrators are being funded by the parties. Yes, I've personally never participated in one. I've heard stories about the chairman and the two wings, as they're sometimes referred to. Uh, very complex uh, in my view, only justified if you have a very complex, very large premises. So the arbitration provision is something the party should take a hard look at before they sign that lease. And, you know, on the list of things that people want to consider at the time they're doing their offer, it's, you know, quite a ways down the list. Right. But 10 years from now, it could cost somebody a lot of money. So what you have to do is you have to consider in your particular circumstance how important that is. And I, I also presume that as part of the arbitration, there, are, there may be experts called to <clears throat> provide uh, their view, uh, their expert view as to what the fair market rent might be, and that will also increase the expense. And that's what I was talking about in the context of determining which market you look at. Because, and you would, in my experience, uh, need to rely upon an expert. And experts are very expensive in this context. I want to uh, thank you for coming in and doing this podcast with us and these podcasts. Can you tell our listeners where they can get a hold of you if they need to have an expert like you to look at their lease? Just come on to the Blaney McMurtry website, blaney.com, and look up me, Dennis Tobin. Now, what is, what's your email, Dennis? It's dtobin at blaney.com. And your phone number? 416-596-2897. Thank you, Dennis, for that, and uh, stay tuned. We're going to have a part two to this uh, podcast, and uh, we will have that posted separately.